Dream matchup has come to pass in the FCS JMU versus North Dakota State in the title game. But now we have to talk about how they got here. Again, folks, this is the FCS opening drive podcast. This is the semifinal review as we talk about both of the FCS playoff semifinals as well as an incredible celebration bowl that featured a ton of points and not much else. I am David Hassing, and with me, as always, the czar of the playbook, Emery. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How's it going this Wonderful morning here a couple of days before Christmas. It's almost Christmas, folks. You still have a couple of days if you want to get that last-minute shopping done. And I'm can, I can guarantee you at least one person that's listening to this is saying, Oh, crap. I for completely <laughs> forgot something for, for my wife, girlfriend, husband. Doesn't matter. You still have time to do that. For those of you who are already celebrating, Happy Hanukkah, which started last night at sundown. Uh, so we obviously want to recognize that as well we got a lot to talk about on the podcast here we're going to have this one and then maybe a little bit of a break before the title game in january but we'll break down the celebration bowl we'll talk about a t versus Alcorn going toe-to-toe once again we'll talk about the two semifinals semifinals north dakota state beating montana state and jmu knocking off weber and we'll have a couple discussion points to go through we'll talk about is the MEAC really that much better than the SWAC in terms of the football quality and is north dakota state's dominance good for the FCS and JMUs for that matter. You got to throw them into the same discussion. Uh, this was title weekend though as well across most of the lower divisions of college football so we want to give a quick shout out to West Florida. They took on their first ever national t- uh, championship at the D2 level uh, beating Minnesota State in that one. They've only been a program for four years. They've been to two title games and now they're a national champion. So congratulations to the Argonauts. Congratulations to the D3 champions, North Central of Illinois. They claimed their first national championship defeating Wisconsin Whitewater. And congratulations to Morningside, who won their second NAIA championship and their second back-to-back at the uh, NAIA level. So congratulations to all three of those squads uh, for their accomplishments. Um, Anything you want to add, Emery? Anything you got... uh you're feeling this morning? Nah, we just, you know, we got a lot to get into, some good topics, and I'm just ready to get this thing kicked off. And it's going to be certainly a lot to talk about. Uh, sadly, we do have to talk about something that did happen over this uh, past weekend, though, and uh, it's kind of traveled around the college football world, and that was a uh, tragic event that happened in Tennessee uh, over the weekend. Uh, Clay Bethard, the quarterback from LIU, uh, brother of C.J. Beathard, is a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, was killed uh, outside of a bar in Nashville this weekend. Uh, truly a tragic event, very, very shocking. Uh, a terrific talent, a terrific leader, a terrific teammate, terrific friend um, to everybody that he was a part of. And so we want to send our thoughts out to his family, uh, to the LIU family as well, uh, Coach Brian Collins, who we had a chance to meet with this preseason. Uh, just a tremendous coach, and I'm sure they are – trying to deal with this uh so the entire liu family we send out our condolences as well um let's get into the football though emory and let's start talk about the only fcs bowl game the hbcu national championship this year with an asterisk because famu was not involved i'm sure they would have a little bit of a beef (laughs) to uh for us calling this the true national title game but the celebration bowl north carolina a&t taking on Alcorn state this is a matchup we have seen before uh these are two Easily the two biggest programs uh, from the respective conferences. A&T comes into this expecting to 
win this bowl game. Not just to participate, but to win it. Alcorn looking for a little bit of revenge. They certainly had a good year this year as well. They're probably the most consistent program in the SWAC. The defensive buses either broke down on the way to the stadium or they got to the, the uh, post-game meal early because they were just slow and they were made to look slow. A&T <laughs> puts up 64 points. They still allow 44. They get the win by 20 in what was just a, an extremely entertaining celebration bowl, especially a wild third quarter. Very entertaining celebration, boy. And it started as though we were going to get a defensive slugfest. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a, a good contrast in yeah. in uh, styles. And also, this shows the commonality of opponents they've met before. So they essentially know each other's you know skill set and what's right. going to happen. They have a good feel for each other. And then it just, after the second, uh, after the first quarter, it just kind of like went all A&T's way. And then credit Alcorn coming back in that third quarter. Yeah. You know, just when you thought, okay, A&T shut the door, Alcorn drove down quickly, got scores. But what a great, entertaining game. Uh, a good showcase for the FCS. They had over 32,000 fans yes. there. Um, so it was a great showcase for not only the HBCU ranks of football, but also the FCS. I know people will bring up FAMU. I know people will bring up Bowie State, uh, who finished 11-0 and in yep. the regular season and also went into the playoffs. Uh, but for this game, for this reason, uh, for its purpose, definitely has been one of the more consistently entertaining matchups on bowls, in bowl season yep. that a lot of people tend to watch. This game went toe-to-toe with NFL Week 16. Yeah. You know, and yep. some meaningful games. You had America's quarterback out there, Jameis Winston, throwing an intercept <laughs> on the first pass of the game. Typical uh, Jameis. Pick six. So you're competing with famous Jameis and also, uh, you know, some other bowl games that are going on. And and this one was one that just stole the show. I, I think the biggest thing here, um, obviously, uh, Jermaine Martin, he actually had a pretty slow first half. And then – Right out of the gate in the second half, 75-yard touchdown run. So he shows up. Right. Um, all of course, they, the one thing they couldn't do was move the ball on the ground. Offensively, they did a great job um, in, in terms of the passing game. Uh, Khalil Carter was outstanding for a and I mean, the kid put on an absolute clinic uh, with six touchdowns. But I got to say this, for Alcorn, their highlight of the game, Chris Blair in the second quarter with that double move. Oh, my Lord. There weren't enough O's in smooth to, to show, talk about that route. Um, again, the secondary probably is, is feeling it ne- even now, a couple of days after the fact, because they got burned all over the place. But uh, incredible job on both squads. Uh, as you said, gr- tremendous atmosphere. And when you had, they were talking about some of the players who actually transferred into these schools with the purpose of playing in this game. They want to play in this ball game. Instead of some, you know, meaningless, you know, bowl game in the first couple weeks in December, they want to be here instead. Shout out to those meaning, uh, meaningless bowl games. But <laughs> the discussion was, and shout out to Jacquez Green, uh, the former Florida Gator great, who's now a great coach in Florida. He kind of brought up the topic of, you know, these bowl games and where they're located. Like, who wants to go? Not to, I don't want to say it on the air and knock these places, <laughs> but will you see where some of these bowl games are located yeah you kind of wonder who's vacationing up there or (laughs) over there or down there atlanta is a great place to go visit whether it's holiday time or anytime yes but where some of these bowl games are you like who's going to insert 
places that no one will actively go to vacation. Yes. Bowl. Like who's gonna who, <laughs> who's going to these places? I, I will say this though on the op, on the flip side of that coin, uh, Bahamas Bowl. If you feel like sending out a credential to uh, to myself for covering that bowl game for the next I don't know thirty years, uh, I'll be <laughs> perfectly happy. That's a good one to go to. I, I have a list of ones that are not favorable to go to. <laughs> In <laughs> uh, the conversation went to, uh, you know, where are some of the worst places that you've played a game? And boy, we have a a, a list of those, <laughs> like which we will keep to ourselves. Right? I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I remember we went this place, and man, I said to myself, then at 19, I will never ever come back to this place. <laughs> but that's that's the that's the funny part about it. So shout out to the Celebration Bowl, their committee. Yes. Um, Michelle Jinx does a great job in putting together, uh, mm. you know, coordinated the media and, and things of that nature. She she is outstanding at what she does, r- real thorough. Had to be tough for her because she's a FAMU grad. Uh, but yep. what was great for her was watching how much the coverage was from the media, from the uh, former players, uh, people from other schools, and people from the players themselves. It was funny because one crowd shot they had mm-hmm. – they didn't, I'm surprised they didn't talk about it uh, during the broadcast as it happened. So they had just you know, random crowd shots when A&T scored and the yeah. crowd cheering. One person that was cheering was Lamar Rayner. And he didn't bring up, like, here's a quarterback yeah. last year. That's Lamar Rayner, like, celebrating, you know, in the stands as a fan at the Celebration Bowl. Yeah. That's dope. Uh, but it was a great event, great game. Glad uh, it was entertaining score-wise. Yes. And uh, shout-out to North Carolina A&T for – Holding down the fort for the MEAC. That's the fourth out of five and three straight in the Celebration Bowl for A&T. Again, this is a game where they expect to get back to every year. It's not a, oh, yeah, it'll be nice to end. You know, okay, we can get to the Celebration Bowl if we want. No, 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 no. We're going to the Celebration Bowl, and we're going to win that thing. So congratulations to A&T on another title. Let's get into some more teams that will be competing for titles at the FCS level. Let's get into the semifinal round of the FCS playoffs, and we have to start with the number one seed, the North Dakota State Bison, taking on the Bobcats of Montana State. Last round, in the quarterfinal round, North Dakota State had a lot of trouble moving the ball. Illinois State slowed them down to a crawl. It almost looked like a little bit that they didn't take Illinois, Illinois State as seriously because they only, okay, we got to shut down James Robinson. If we do that, we're fine. We don't have to do anything else. You know, we'll get enough points. They almost didn't. It certainly looked like they got a wake-up call in practice the last <laughs> over the last week because this North Dakota State team was completely different. It was close for about a quarter. Uh, North Dakota State got the touchdown early. Montana State scores on a fourth down and goal. You know, all right, showing a little bit, showing the guts there. You needed to do it. And then the second <laughs> quarter, North Dakota State just went off. They went at 42-14, 22 second quarter points. They got a two-point conversion off a swinging gate. Who has used the swinging gate in the last 30 years to score any kind of points? I know who will use it this upcoming <laughs> week or, or so in, in the future weeks. Best believe the Patriots will add that to their offense. Oh, 100%. But you know what's interesting <laughs> about this game? And it was a dominating performance by North Dakota State. And, yeah, Montana State did a great job in, in making sure they, you know, battle through and, and try to make it a game. They tied it up. Like you said, they went forward on fourth down. But when you watch that whole drive, you just kind of thought to yourself, like, man, they're really working – extra hard for for every yard for like three yards yeah everything yeah. was extra hard yeah driving down the field inside the red zone inside the green zone it was like everything was like 
the hardest thing they've ever done. We've seen Montana yeah. State be able to move up and down the field. Yeah. And it speaks to how dominant of a team North Dakota State is. Yeah. And even though they tied it up, you never really thought Montana State had a chance in this game mm. with how North Dakota State was able to dominate. Then you talk about the, the way uh, Watson, you know, just opened up the game with <laughs> the receiving and also yeah. how Lance was just, oh, y'all want to stop me from running? I can also throw it too. Christian Watson, if he's here's the thing, he's six three, two hundred pounds. The kid's a baller. He's a generous two hundred pounds. Generous two hundred pounds. But still, he should be in the league. If he doesn't, for some stupid reason, USA track and field. <laughs> I think I found your next guy for the two hundred meters. Because on the you know, obviously you got the long ball over the top for the first touchdown. That was the first one of the second half, second quarter. The next play, they give it to him on a pitch. He gets through the defenders. He started jogging at the forty. He slowed down at the 40-yard line. Though, all right, I, I can just I can just leisurely get in it from here. Um, just insane. I, I think the biggest thing from this game, though, from Montana State, is that they did make adjustments and they didn't stick to them. You saw them in the second in the uh, second and third quarter. They opened the playbook up. You know, they went with a couple of trick plays. They went outside with a wide receiver sweep, and it started to work. And then they didn't stick with it. They made all those adjustments that were working. And then said, okay, let's go back to running up the middle. No! <laughs> like, when you have, like, I say this all the time watching the New England Patriots. Teams that are defeating the Patriots at the, in the, at the half do not change and go conservative in the second half. That's how they beat you. For whatever reason, all right, we've dominated this team. We've opened them up. We know how to beat them. Let's go backwards. <laughs> no! This is not what you do. And this is what you don't do against a team like North Dakota State. You just can't do it. Um... Trey Lance, what, what can we say about this kid now? I mean, he's already won the Jerry Rice Award. He's one of the finalists. He might very well win the Walter Payton as a freshman. That's and crazy. He might deserve it, too. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I, I'm one of those guys where it's like, eh, he's a freshman. They've got their own award. You know, I don't know if I should, you know, I, I voted for him as one of my top five, but I didn't put him as number one. 15 of 21, 223, three scores. Good. 11 carries, 64 yards, and two more scores. As a freshman. This is insane that what he's able to do, and he's going to get better. Like we're talking about North Dakota State, and we'll talk about them later on in this podcast. But they could produce three consecutive NFL quarterbacks from an FCS school, which is just madness, absolute madness. What, what people don't talk about enough about North Dakota State, and and you're right, Trey Lance is great. He's going to be playing some sort of pro ball when he's eligible. Four years from now, you know, yeah. three years from now. Um, but the amount of players North Dakota State has from Florida. A lot of people like <laughs> yeah. to talk in narratives about yeah. North Dakota State. They always want to talk about, you know, small town, you know, homegrown North Dakota. No. Watson's from Tampa. Thank you. <laughs> There's so many players from Florida, which means you have Florida speed to go along with Midwestern beef up front. Yeah. And you're able to pull guys away from uh, non-FCS states nearby. Minnesota, where Trey Lance is from. It's yep. either University of Minnesota and a bunch of D2s. Yep. No FCS. If there was an FCS in Minnesota, Lance probably would have ended up there. Yeah. He goes to North Dakota State. You also look at Wisconsin. You have University of Wisconsin. D3s. D3s. So you have a ton of talent to pull from from there. Yeah. North Dakota State does a great job of not only understanding their region, but also not afraid to go into places that you it would be hard to convince. I remember getting recruited and it was hard for teams to get through to me that was 
north of the Mason-Dixon line because yeah. of weather. Yeah. So imagine going into Florida and talking about North Dakota. <laughs> we have an exciting opportunity for you. <laughs> like North Dakota is that like near is that near Pensacola? You know, am I hearing you wrong? Is you, are you saying North <laughs> Pensacola? But to be able to go into Florida and pull those athletes out of there yeah. to go to North Dakota State because of the program, because of the dominance, because of what you're seeing come out and play on Sunday. Yeah. They are doing it right in the FCS, in my opinion. And we'll talk more about that. Again, certainly in tremendous for the program, but the question is now, is it good for FCS as a whole? And again, we'll talk about that later in the podcast. But first, we have to get to the other semifinal. Down in the Valley, James Madison taking on Weber State. Weber State kind of, I, I mean, incredible program. This is, again, they made the semifinals. They kind of robbed us of the matchup that people kind of wanted to see, which was James Madison versus Montana. And they shut down this Montana team, which they've done the last few four or five years. Mont- Weber State has become one of these programs out west where they are consistently dominant. They were what Eastern Washington was over the last few years, what Montana has been in back in the early 2000s. Weber State's become that program. So they were going to give a test to James Madison and these defensive playmakers. It was pretty much done by halftime. JMU wins 30-14. to 14. Ben DiNucci doing everything all over the place, just doing Ben DiNucci things. And Riley Stapleton comes up with a big game as well for James Madison. He, he's a very quietly one of the biggest reasons for their success. JMU's playmakers just all over the field on both sides of the ball, just too much for Weaver State to handle. Yeah, way, way too much for them to handle. And at the end of the day, man, again, you're looking at a team that was working hard for every yard. Yeah. When you see that, you instantly start to look at the opponents like, you know what, man, you just have to give credit where credit is due. James Madison is just far too dominant in this ball game. Yeah. And you kind of saw that early on. Mm-hmm. And even when James Madison wasn't clicking – per se, offensively, right. they still look dominant. Especially in the second half. Second half, right. it looked like they took the foot a little bit off the gas, just a little bit. but They still were dominant defensively. Yeah. And it's it's hard to explain, but you kind of know it when you see it. Like a team that just, you know, these two are just simply the best teams in the FCS. Yeah. Period. James Madison and North Dakota State. And that's the beauty of a playoff system. And, yeah, maybe it, it, it might be around too long, but I kind of enjoy the, the format the way it is. Yeah. Um, obviously, attendance-wise, you kind of want to make sure the attendance is there right. and get people excited about playing playoff games. Maybe you start a week earlier, and therefore you don't uh, run into, you know, Christmas week, right. holiday week. Um, but I think the way it works is that you have the two teams that everybody just – you know, thought was the two best teams in the country. Yeah. They're meeting up in the championship game because they are dominant. The, the cream will rise to the top. Yes, there will be upsets. But in football, it's I think it's harder to do than in basketball. Yeah. Uh, which is why you see those uh, Cinderella stories in basketball a lot more. Right. But it's also the reason why you don't see 16 beat number one often. You know, it, it happened, what, twice in yeah. NCAA history? And only in the last couple of years. Bingo. So – the dominant team usually will be yeah. dominant and make his way through. And we've seen that so far in this playoffs with James Madison and North Dakota. I think the, the story of this ballgame was, again, though, written on the ground. You look at James Madison's rushing stats here. 
Danucci was the leading rusher with 13 carries for 62. But then you had Palmer, 12 carries for 53. Hamilton, 15 for 50. Agie Obise, 13 for 45. Just, you know, who do you tackle? You can't, you can't focus on one guy. And we talked about Josh Davis. He got banged up in the quarterfinal round for Weber, who was an, he still is an outstanding running back. 13 carries, 61 yards. But beyond him, there was nothing. Like, Constantine had a decent game. 16 of 31, threw a couple touchdowns, 186. There was no help. Absolutely no help. And it was because of everything up front being just absolutely snuffed out by especially the defensive ends. I mean, I think both defensive ends for JMU, both Daka and Rondell Carter, could be playing in the NFL next season. Yeah, they're awesome defensively at all three levels. You know, I think their secondary is, bar none, uh, the best in the FCS, how they match up yeah. and what they do from a man coverage standpoint and from a zone coverage standpoint. They're just excellent across the board. So I'm excited to see this matchup in the championship game. Yeah. I wish it was a week earlier, so therefore I could have gone to yes. Frisco, Texas, but I'll <laughs> yes. be on my all-star game uh, circuit. But it should be a great game. It should be tremendous. And, again, we will, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. We're probably going to take next week off with the holidays coming up. Uh, only one FCS game really left to talk about. The coaching carousel is pretty much stopped. We haven't had any uh, any other uh, firings or retirings or anything like that that we can talk about. So we will break down this game, though, in depth. We will go p- position by position uh, and really focus on this ball game because it will be a clash of the Titans. Uh, potential pros and playmakers all over the lot. Uh, so we'll be able to check that game out for what it's worth and what will be probably just as entertaining as the college football playoff in the FBS, their championship game. It will be right up there with that. Uh, and again, we'll have that on the FCS opening drive podcast. Again, this is presented by Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of, of Broadcasting. You can find us on both SoundCloud and iTunes where you can listen back on any of our podcasts from Football Game Plan On Demand. Before we you know, again, obviously we don't have anything to preview here, but we're going to have a couple discussion points here to finish out this podcast. I'm going to start with basically, you know, what we've learned and what we experienced over the last weekend with the Celebration Bowl and the dominance of North Coast State and JMU in the FCS playoffs. And we'll start with the Celebration Bowl where we saw, again, A&T winning four of the last five. They've won three straight. And what we've consistently seen is that MEAC teams beat SWAC teams. That's kind of the trend. The question is, though, and what we have to discuss here, is how much better is this MEAC conference really than the SWAC in terms of depth? And is it, you know, what can we point to for the reason for that success? Emery, I know, I know you've got a lot of thoughts about that. What, Where do you think the MEAC leads the most in terms of their programs being over the top of the SWAC? Well, let's break this down from uh, the Celebration Bowl standpoint. Number one, you talk about a team that has uh, depth. Right. Depth is always key. You know, I think from the Celebration Bowl standpoint, I had lost my train of thought for a second, but from the Celebration Bowl standpoint, number one, it is about the bye. I think MEAC teams without a conference championship game mm. have that extra week of preparation. Right extra week of rest going into the Celebration Bowl. Right. SWAC plays the Bayou Classic Thanksgiving weekend. Then after that, and the last couple of years, the team that has played in the Bayou Classic was the team that was also going to the SWAC title game. Right, so you can't 
move that game up ahead of the Bayou Classic. And yep. also, now you have a team that's playing the Bayou Classic. They're playing in a SWAC title game. That game is a week before Celebration Bowl. And now you have that team coming off a treacherous schedule because you don't know when their, um, their last bye week was. Yeah. So they could be playing a string of games in a row going up against a well-rested, well-prepared MEAC team. And then how many times have we seen the winner of the Bayou Classic, the Grand Lincoln Southern, beat Alcorn? Very rarely in the SWAC title game. Right. So even Alcorn's taking advantage of the bye week to set up for the SWAC title game. Exactly. That's a great point because I think that's important. If the SWAC, and I know this is blasphemous to say, <laughs> but if, because I think they're in position like the MEAC to have their cake and eat it too. They can have the SWAC title game. They can also continue to have the Bayou Classic, and they can get their best team in the Celebration Bowl while their second best team we've seen the SWAC come up with. They have four teams that are really good. This Yeah, this year especially. Right, this year especially. In future years, I think they're just going to continue to get better. They can have a team in the playoffs. Yeah. That can't happen if you're playing games on Thanksgiving weekend when the playoffs start or during the playoff selection committee, and you know, during that whole time. Yeah. You know, so um, I think – when you look at uh, if they move that, they could play the Bayou Classic a week before. Right. Or move it to the beginning of the season and have it as a kickoff classic. Right. Because the people that go to the Bayou Classic are going to go to the Bayou Classic regardless. doesn't matter if it's Thanksgiving weekend. It just that's because right. it's been on Thanksgiving weekend. Right. That's where people go. So if you move that to the beginning of the season, let that kick off your college football slate. With a, with a huge game between Southern and Grambling. Now what that does, it frees up that weekend so perhaps a team can't get into the playoffs or you can move the SWAC championship game to that weekend as well because what also happens, the economic dollar gets stretched. Right. So those that choose, you're now forcing your fans to make a choice. Man, do I use the money to travel during a more expensive time Thanksgiving to go see family, friends, and then also go to this game? Or do I wait and go to the SWAC championship game a week after Thanksgiving and I have to now go to a celebration bowl game and right. and spend? So if you move that Bayou Classic game up, I would have that as the opening okay. of every SWAC season. Yeah. And then free up that weekend for now a possible playoff team or even a SWAC title game. And now you go into the, the Celebration Bowl with your best team, two weeks of rest, just like the MEAC. And yeah. therefore, you're going to get a much better uh, quality game. Because the recruiting is 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 up to par with the MEAC. The coaching is up to par with the MEAC. Everything is up to par. It's just the scheduling has thrown everything off for yeah. the SWAC for years. If they move the uh, Bayou Classic up to week one, move the SWAC championship game, or get rid of it completely – um, and I understand why they have it, money-wise, yeah. and also the fact that you have two divi- two divisions. Right. It makes sense. So move that SWAC title game up a week in replace of the Bayou Classic or before the Bayou Classic, or the original Bayou Classic schedule, so before Thanksgiving. So, therefore, a team that wins can go to the playoff. The team that loses uh, wins and go to Celebration Bowl. The team that loses perhaps goes to the playoffs if they're ranked high enough. Right. You open up all the opportunities for your conference. I think just moving the, the – Bayou Classic would open up everything for the swag. Well, I, I think I, I'm glad you brought up scheduling because I think that's the broader issue. You talked about the celebra- you know, in terms of the celebration bowl dominance of A and T. A and T, I mean, A and T is an incredible program. 
to, you know, just on their own because, you know, they've had players drafted, I think, each of the last three years. And they're probably looking at at least one more, you know, over the next couple. But in terms of scheduling, the SWAC hamstrings themselves. I mean, you look at Alabama A&M, for example. They're playing Morehouse and Central State. That's not going to help you in terms of the committee. That's not going to help you in terms of improving yourself as a program. You know what I mean? Yeah, you've got a game against Sanford in there, which is nice. You know, that's, that's a solid test. But far too often, you know, you have Alabama State playing Tuskegee. That's probably not going to help you as a program. That's not going to get you better. Whereas opposed to you look at the MEAC teams and who they schedule, let's look at North Carolina A&T. Yeah, they've got, you know, they've got games against Elon. That's CAA, and they beat them. Yep. They got a game against Duke, ACC. That is pretty solid. Like, you've got these, uh, I mean, and they're, you know, obviously they're not completely sinless either in terms of, you know, who they play. But like Florida A&M, they played Fort Valley State right. this year. But they're also playing UCF to start the season. They're playing Southern. Like, they're playing a good, solid team out of the SWAC. They're playing teams that they should be playing. I mean, South Carolina State knocked off a SOCON team this year in Wofford. Yep. Yes, they played Lane the next week, but then they played South Florida. <laughs> Look at the schedule that they have. And, like, and, and listen, I'm not – and you're right. You're, you, they're not absolved for any scheduling wrongdoing. You look no. at Southern. There's an Edward Waters game sandwiched in there. <laughs> in between, though, Memphis, McNeese, and Florida A&M. And that McNeese right, game and, went down to the wire. But then they have Flo- Virginia Lynchburg on the ninth. You can, See, right. You can't – like, keep one. Keep one. That's fine. The FBS schools thrive on that, especially All the SEC. T- bingo. There's SEC week <laughs> where they thrive on on this type of thing. But I get what you're saying, right? You can keep one. Let that open your season. Right. But schedule tougher. I, I swear Virginia Lynchburg has a 30-game schedule because they, pop, on the they pop up everywhere. For, they play Prairie View, as did Edward Waters this year. Like I like I understand, and you got some old rivalries as well with you know some of the old HBUs, HBCU conferences and rivalries and stuff like I that. I get that. I get all of that. But no, this is what is holding you back. I mean, but you look at a program like Grambling. They're playing Louisiana Monroe and Louisiana Tech. Yeah. Back to back FBS opponents. What are they consistently good? Yep. What is Alcorn too? They're playing Southern Miss. They're playing Southern Miss McNeese. What are they consistently? And they had good. McNeese down to the wire again. That yeah. was a very close game. So this is not, you know, this they're hamstringing themselves. And this is why the MEAC is consistently better. Granted, they're in a different geographical area, so you can play an ACC team or you can play a team out of, you know, Conference USA or something like that. The SWAC is just hamstringing themselves. So even if they, if they do everything that you said, which are all good points, to, you know, get them over the hump, to improve, to, you know, get them ready for the Celebration Bowl, they're never going to make that playoff push unless they stop scheduling D2 opponents. It's just not going to happen. I'm telling you, they'll see the success jump in the Celebration Bowl if they just give their teams another week to prepare. And this was a good year for the SWAC. Yeah. Alcorn was 8-9-4. Alabama A&M had a great year at 7-5. They're going to be dangerous next year. Arkansas Pine Bluff was 6-5 and five this season. Where did that come from? The Four out of the five teams in the SWAC West were over 500. Yeah. This was a good year for the SWAC. But then they get to the MEAC, and the MEAC says, all right, come on, please, just just try. It, and I'm just telling just you, try. a lot of it, in, uh, uh, you know, again, you, you look at it in the NFL where everyone talks about the bye week, how important it is for a bye, and it doesn't necessarily mean an automatic path to the Super Bowl. Right. But in this case for college students, the rest, preparation, added weeks of uh, practice for guys that you'll end up seeing in the game that are that maybe not have played a lot, you get those guys prepared. 
um, that is completely beneficial. Yeah. So move this the Bayou Classic to week one or week zero. Your mentions are about to blow up, though. Well, you you move the Bayou Classic <laughs> up. Imagine this. Imagine week zero. That the new thing in college football is week zero. Game yeah. starting August twenty fourth. You get the Miax Wack Challenge in that week as well, though. That's the only problem. Well, move the Bayou Classic to week zero. Kick off the college football season with a rivalry game. Yeah. A key one, and it doesn't hurt the team that loses. So if you lose in week zero, you have fifteen weeks to get back in good graces. Imagine if you lose week zero to the, the Bayou Classic. And now you have – you run the tables and you have yourself 11 straight wins, yeah. right? That and looks you, a whole lot better than losing week week 13. Bingo. So you see where you see where I'm making sense? Okay. That I think that's how they can fix this thing. And it will help whoever wins the SWAC title game to be more prepared for the uh, uh, celebration bowl. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, your mentions are still going to be blown up by, <laughs> by every aunt, every uncle – Oh, you're blowing up tradition. This is a Thanksgiving Day tradition, but you know what? You're right. You know what else was a tradition? <laughs> Just having regular baked turkey until fried turkey came on the scene, and now look at everybody. <laughs> and, and, and that's why we have the obesity <laughs> program that we have, folks. But speaking of dominance, though, of the MEAC, let's talk about another dominance, and that is the, the true dominance that is the FCS, and that is North Dakota State. And I'm going to th- throw JMU into this discussion as well, because over the last few years, FCS has turned into what Division Three was in the mid-2000s, where it was Mount Union, Wisconsin-Whitewater, where they met in the title game eight years in a row. We're getting to that point. But especially with North Dakota State, their dominance is, you, you cannot argue with it. You cannot argue with their success. You cannot argue with the kids they recruit, the coaches that they have, all the way back to the 1980s in Division Two, and then moving up into Division One into the FCS, where it's continued. The question now is, though, is their dominance good for FCS? Now, you know, obviously it's a big, you know, ESPN loves North Dakota State. They love showing them whenever they want to. But is that good for the entire level? That's the question mark. It's always interesting when people bring up dominance, right? Yeah. Because people pick and choose when they love dominance. Like, no one talks about we're tired of seeing Alabama and Clemson playing in the championship game, right? No one ever talks about, at the time – we're tired of seeing Mike Tyson just knock everybody out. Yeah. No one talks about we're tired of seeing the Yankees win the World Series. People are love dominant when they want to, when it's not their team or when they you know have some rooting interest. I don't mind North Dakota State being dominant. You need that in college football. And it's funny because we've people act as if we've never seen this before. Right. We've always had dominance in sports. Yeah. During the 80s and 90s, you had Nebraska dominating. Florida, Florida State dominated. You always had those teams that dominated. Yeah. In the NFL, the 80s, 49ers. 90s, you had the Cowboys. Now it's the Patriots. Now it's the Patriots. You've always had dominance in sports. And so at the end of the day, I mean, NBA, you had what? Celtics, Lakers winning the majority of those championships in the 80s? Even in college football, you look at Northwest Missouri State. Was in dominant D2. for a while. You just dominant. mentioned the D3 dominance. D3 dominance of, the Mount, of Mount Union, where they were in the, they've been in the title game, I think, 15, 16 times. Right. And so, the, <laughs> so it's, not, it's, it's not, nothing new. It's nothing new. But is it good? I think it's good because it gives people a standard to reach. Like, you know what? We want to be good, too. Think about this. Clemson was 8-4 and four traditionally. 
Yes. This is a solid football program. When they decided they wanted to be champs, they put in the work. And when I say work, I'm talking about investing in the facilities, right? Putting the money up where they would, you know, where the, you know, to in, into the putting money back into the program yields results, right? You want to be North Dakota State? Invest in the facilities. JMU invested in facilities. Their stadium is second to none. And look what happened around their program. They've won a championship. We saw, you know, we've seen teams do this before. Yeah. I think um, investing in the facilities, taking football seriously, letting football be the front door of your of your university. Um, and, and granted, that's not the complete answer, but that's a big part of the answer. And granted, some of these budgets are, are stressed right. in. I get all that. But I love the dominance of North Dakota State. I don't think it's a bad thing for the FCS. I know some people may look at it and say, well, if they're always in the championship. Nobody's going to watch the game. Nobody cares about the playoffs because they know North Dakota State is going to win. People say the same things about Alabama, and yet we still watch. <laughs> we Every still Saturday. Watch you know what I'm saying? Because you want to see which team can knock them off. So I think, yes, dominance is good because it gives you an automatic villain, but it also gives you a, a place to, to shoot for, to strive for. We want right. to be just like that. Because at one point in time, North Dakota State wasn't the dominant force in the FCS. They were really good. Um, right when they first came in in like the '90s, they were they kind of they they were a solid program, but they weren't national title contenders right. every year. It they're, took them a little while. It, right, and you know they'll beat the they was beating your Minnesotas, uh, your Iowa States, you know like that. But you know it took them a while before they we were talking about Villanova and all these other programs. Right, yep. North Dakota, State, Montana, Montana, North Dakota State got better. Yeah, and so don't get mad at them for getting better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't I don't see a problem with it. Do you? I, I, for me, it, it's not so. You know, you, there's no problem with them having the success and setting that marker whatsoever. I think where the issue comes is that the FCS is fighting re- for respect. There's no question about that, and we've seen that time and again. We saw that this year with Craig Haley leading that campaign with you know FCS on game day, which did elicit a response. But right. then you still have people who are you know talking about on an FCS broadcast. Well, let's look at the top 10 teams in the country and it's the fbs <laughs> right so the problem with the fcs is that they are still fighting for respect there are teams here that are terrific that would put a lot of fbs teams not only to the brink but to the sword i mean you take any team from say the socon and put them against a team from the bottom of conference usa they're winning that ball game consistently you take a team you know coming out of the missouri valley you put them against a team from the mac they're winning that game consistently the problem is they're not getting that respect. And the only way you grow that respect and that vision is to get more dominant teams. And I think that's where you, you know, where it comes into play is at the moment when people think of FCS, they don't talk about, you know, they don't talk about teams that are having really good years. They don't talk about Austin P. They don't talk about Sacramento state. They don't even talk about Weber who has been a consistent semifinal, you know, quarterfinal semifinal player in the playoffs every year. The only thing they think of is North Dakota state. The only thing they think of is James Madison. And again, there's nothing wrong with their dominance. There's nothing, you know, there's no complaint about it. The fans are second to none. The stadiums are second to none. Coaches are going off to FBS programs. Players are going to the NFL left and right. But nobody knew where South Dakota State was until game day went to Brookings. And even then, they barely mentioned them. Even then, they were talking about North Dakota State during that entire broadcast when they brought up the FCS at all. So in order for, you know, at this point, you're starting to see you're seeing more parity for sure across the FCS. We saw that this year. That's where a team like Austin P can knock off Jacksonville State in the OBC. Right. But for me, it's more of 
having that open platform for these teams to get more exposure and be able to expand. Because you're right, as soon as you expand, you know, the facilities or the you know whatever they have here, the team gets better. I mean, you saw I saw that at Albany, the you know the new stadium there, which is really really nice. LIU yep. just moved up to D1, put in a lot of money in the facilities. They're not going to be competitive for probably a few more years though yet, but you have to have that open vision of saying, okay, there are more teams beyond North Dakota State and James Madison. And I think that's where it lacks right now, and that's where it harms the FCS as a whole because teams like the Citadel, who knocked off Georgia Tech this year, don't get the headlines. Georgia right. State gets the headlines. That's the issue. It's not a problem with their dominance. It's a problem of they're kind of closing the window around themselves. You know, very, you know, a little egotistically, but, you know, rightfully so with their dominance. But they're kind of closing the window off from anybody else to get noticed. That's the biggest issue I have. I, I just think that, you know, and you bring up some really good points, man. I just feel like it's a shame that, you know, folks are going to look at everything that they do and, and you know, and say, uh, well, we're never just going to be as good as them because of blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah, but it's, that's not the case, man. The, you know, the beauty of that is you're going to have your situations where you're going to be able to have the success you want and also – you know, we call it having your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You inspect what you expect is the way we, we say it. So once you invest, the rest is going to take care of itself. I don't see a problem with North Dakota State dominating. No. I mean, you talk about, you know, FCS stats, they released their All-America team uh, this past week. And you look at the schools where they're coming from. It's not North Dakota State, JMU, North Dakota State, JMU, all the way across the board. Monmouth, Illinois State, Albany, Rhode Island, Dayton, Nichols. It's everywhere. The talent is all there. Right. They don't get the exposure because they're not playing against North Dakota State or for North Dakota State. That's the only issue I see with it. But the fact of the matter is, and what you brought up, teams have to get better. Just got to get better, man. And um, we do have one question, not really a question, uh, before we get out of here, is yeah. a comment coming from Matthew Creer. Uh, at Matthew Creer, he says, North Dakota State versus JMU for the championship. This is how it was going to play out since day one, right? I think so. Yeah. I I, I, I mean, there was times of during the year where we had, like, okay, yeah. this team looks like, a team that could make a serious run in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, we talked about Montana State, Montana. Uh, who else? I was, Sac State. Sac State. Um, early on in the year, I was high on. Uh, we were we were both high on Houston Baptist. Yeah, Houston <laughs> Baptist. Um, I was high on North Dakota. <laughs> right. But Yeah, North Dakota. Monmouth, I was high on. Um, you know, so there were some teams that we thought, okay, this team has an opportunity. But Austin P was another one. Austin P. You know, so – it's always fun to look back at that, but at the, in the back of our minds, you knew this was going to happen. Both teams at least, got a scare, right? Both teams, but you knew at least one, probably North Dakota, was going to make it out all right. Right, like North Dakota State, like when they were playing the quarterfinal game with Illinois State, and it was still a six-point game with Illinois State with the ball. I'm thinking, wow, this could be the upset of the century, and also. This is going to make a terrible semifinal <laughs> game if they get to, if they play Montana full, State. Full disclosure: this how this is how funny and how far we've we've come. <laughs> Week one, when JMU is playing North Carolina State, I'm yeah. watching the game and I'm like, you know, JMU just doesn't look like a dominant team this year, and I'm judging them against NC State. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> there's, there's a reason there's a reason North Dakota State isn't playing Minnesota. Or Wisconsin, right? Because if they did, they'd be stealing recruits from them. That's how well they've, good they've, all, they've already done that part about. Yeah, they beat Iowa. They beat 
Mont, uh, Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota probably won't even schedule them anymore. Oh no, no. I think who do you have? Who has North Dakota State next year? I want to say <laughs> um, there's a there's an FBS team that has North Dakota State next year. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. And also, North Carolina Antique goes out to North Dakota State. So. That Bison, could be interesting. Yeah, the Bison have some big games coming up. And James, uh, like you say, with James, at least James Madison gets you know opponents. They, they took it to West Virginia this year. Exactly. They only lost by seven to West Virginia. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, to answer your question, Matthew probably was leaning that way from Jump Street, North yeah. Dakota State. James Madison. Yeah, it wasn't like last year. JMU was not as strong last year. They right. weren't as dominant. They were replacing a ton of people. Right. This year. I mean, Danucci is a totally different quarterback from last yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to answer your question, yes. And, and <laughs> it's, it's going to be – I mean, I've, I've seen the stats, though, that you know people did permutations of, you know, North Dakota State averages this on points versus JMU, and they did, like, the calculations. And I think the calculations came out to JMU wins the game 22.2 to 22. Wow, so they're that close. In terms of, you know, points scored for North Dakota State versus JMU's allowed, and then, you know, vice versa. It comes out to like a third of a point between the two schools that's, if they play out the way it should. That's dominance. That's going to be a great game. And people should embrace the best meeting up with the best. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, here's an opportunity for JMU to get revenge because the last time they played, North Dakota State won. If Baltimore, if this the is a rubber match. If the Baltimore Ravens face the San Francisco 49ers, no one should be complaining, oh, we saw this in the regular season. Right. Who cares? You want to see the two best teams meet up. Yes. So take it for what it's worth. Yes, teams should get better in order to make it, you know, if you want to have it more interesting, yes, teams have to get better. But this will be – this was the game people wanted to see in Week 0, the glorified Week 0. This is the game that people wanted to see at the start of the playoffs. This is the game that people want to see in a couple weeks. And, again, we will break that down – in full detail, we will have, I believe, we'll have a video on the championship game. We'll have a podcast talking about the championship game. Hopefully, you know, whatever news can, you know breaks, but it should be one of the best football games of the year because some of these bowl games have turned into blowouts really, really quick. I don't think we're going to see that, though, like we saw in the semifinals. But that will do it for the FCS opening drive podcast, the semifinal review, and the Celebration Bowl review. Emery, do you have anything else you want to plug before we uh, sign off here? Footballgameplan.com slash go-go offense. Get your copy of the outstanding book from William & Mary Offensive Coordinator uh, Brennan Marion. Detailing his offense, you can order your copy today. Footballgameplan.com slash go-go offense. And to everybody out there, obviously we will have our podcast again uh, or a, some version of our NFL podcast probably next weekend uh, talking about the playoffs. But this will be our last FCS podcast probably until 2020. Well, believe it or not, folks, we are almost at that point. So to everybody celebrating, obviously we're recording this on the 23rd. Have a Merry Christmas uh, if you are celebrating. Again, if you are already celebrating, Happy Hanukkah. Um, happy Kwanzaa for those of you celebrating uh, Kwanzaa as well. And for everybody, have a Happy New Year. Have Hopefully 2020 for everybody is a whole lot better than what 2019 has been. Even if you had a great 2019, there's always room to improve. If we can learn anything from North Dakota State and JMU, there's, there's always, always room there, to improve. There is no ceiling, <laughs> folks. So have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Kwanzaa, a Happy Hanukkah, and a tremendous New Year, and we'll see you in 2020 here on the FCS Opening Drive Podcast.